Would you now turn with me in your Bibles to the first book of Samuel. Samuel 1, I want to read the entire chapter 1. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel. Samuel chapter 1. <coughs> and here we hear God's word as follows. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophin of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on me, on the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah in all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. 
Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought, brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. And now follow the words of our text. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worshipped the Lord there. I want to read those last two verses again for just a moment. They comprise our text. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worshipped the Lord there. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May God add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Salem this morning, if you are familiar with your Bible a little bit, you will know that many times, many times men of major import and significance suddenly appear, as it were, on center stage, and we're not told how or when God prepared them for their work in the the kingdom, but not so with Samuel. Scripture highlights for us almost all of his life and history. In sequence, we see him, first of all, as a child, and then as a young man, and we continue to read of him into the maturity of his old age. And although we are told much about the life of Samuel, what is important for us in our text of this morning is what we are told with regards to him even prior to his coming into the world. Our text of this morning begins not so much with Samuel, but with Samuel's parents. Our text reveals to us the spiritual condition of especially his mother's heart as we hear her immediately after his birth confess, I have asked him of the Lord. And those words speak volumes. In those few words, we are given a glimpse into the very heart of a dear child of God who who out of her, her love for her Lord gives to God her very life in her desire to be used by God for God's own glory. And now we here in Salem this morning, we had the blessed privilege to witness the baptism of another covenant child. And in that context, I now want to listen with you to the word of God as a pious Old Testament mother receives her child from God and praises him by confessing, for this child I have prayed. And that's the theme of my sermon this morning, for this child I have prayed. And then we want to examine Hannah's burden, her prayer, her gift from God, and finally her gift to God. So for this child I have prayed, Hannah's burden, her prayer, her gift from God, and her gift to God. The story of Samuel is familiar to all Christians. Even our children know most of it. The text tells us something of the home of Samuel's parents. We read that Elkanah, Samuel's father, he had two wives. They were Peninnah, with whom Elkanah had many children, and Hannah, who was barren. And that barrenness was a particularly difficult burden for her to bear. And it was made all the more so by the way in which Peninnah ridiculed her. Peninnah mocked her by saying that that barrenness, that barrenness was evidence that God had obviously forgotten uh, about her. and, And he had no interest in her. 
And if you read the entire narrative, you will learn that even when they together went to the house of the Lord, the very place where Hannah ought to have received comfort, even there, even there in the house of the Lord, Peninnah chose to rub salt, if you will, into Hannah's wounds and to add to her burden. But Hannah knew where to go. Hannah cast her burden on the Lord. Where else could she go? She wasn't real comfortable going to Elkanah with her burden for Although he had tried to comfort her, it was largely through his sin that she found herself in this condition. You see, he had two wives, and that brought tension in the home and in the marriage. And although there is no certainty, um, some of the commentators suggest that Elkanah had probably married Hannah first, but when she bore him no children, he then broke God's law and took a second wife. And because of that sin, Hannah is now bearing this double burden, a burden of loneliness and a burden of barrenness. And with her sorrowing spirit, she goes to the Lord. You know the story. Hannah goes to the house of the Lord and she prayed. Eli the high priest looked at her, saw her lips moving, but hearing no words, concluded she was drunk. And he jumped headlong into the wrong conclusion. What are you doing here? What are you doing here in the house of God drunk? Oh, my Lord, she says, I'm not drunk. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. Eli then acknowledges his mistake and pronounces the blessing of God upon her, and she leaves, no longer saddened. The Lord had heard the inner groanings of Hannah's soul. He heard the prayer of, of Hannah. Her, her prayers and her tears were precious to the Lord, and, and, and he, as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 56, he gathers up her, her tears, putting them all into a bottle. Because you see, her tears were precious to the Lord. God saw her, God heard her, and God answered her. God remembered Hannah, and he gave her a son whom she called Samuel because I have asked him of the Lord. That's what the name means. For so long she had prayed, and God had heard. God had answered, and now she had this child in her arms as a token of God's love for her. We read in our scripture passage that Elkanah went up to offer the yearly sacrifice at Shiloh. And it's important that we know that. For you see, this was a dark period in the history of God's people. You see, Israel, for the most part, at that time in history, had become an irreligious and an apostate generation. There was great spiritual declension among Israel, but apparently not so for Elkanah. Indeed, he had taken two wives... But scripture still speaks positively of him when we read that instead of him drifting into apostasy with his peers, Elkanah still goes to worship the Lord. Apparently, Elkanah still diligently, faithfully, and regularly called upon the name of the Lord at the appointed hours of worship, and in that, scripture commends him. But at this time, according to the text, Hannah did not go with him. Why not? Well, the text says literally that she had a duty to perform at home. We read, I will not go until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Capture this with me, people of God. (coughs) (coughs) Hannah here has something to teach us. Hannah took her duty as a mother very seriously. This was a precious gift from the Lord, and she was not about... Excuse me. (coughs) She was not about to hand him over to a sitter or to a daycare provider or a preschool. No. 
she had a duty to, nur to, to nurse him, to wean him, to look after him at home until he was old enough to be presented to the Lord, as this chapter tells us. That was her duty, and she fulfilled her duty. Hanley was not only a mother, she was a very godly, pious mother, and she saw it as her duty to stay home with this child, to fulfill her obligation. And I believe that little bit of information given us almost in passing speaks volumes to us today. I believe that Hannah had it absolutely right when she said that she had a duty to perform at home towards the child that God had given her. Anyway, although she did not worship with him, when the child was an infant, Hannah did share in the faith of Elkanah. And we read when she had weaned Samuel, she went to Shiloh with him in order to present him to the Lord. And she did so. She literally gave him to the priest in the temple. And we read that Samuel grew up in the care of Eli there in the temple of the Lord. Congregation, in many ways, it seems strange, perhaps even inconceivable to us, that a mother like Hannah could leave her child in the care of a priest, <coughs> particularly at this stage of the child's life. But we need to remember, first of all, that Samuel was an exceptional child, raised up by God for an exceptional purpose at an exceptional time in church history. We would be reading the text all wrong if we would interpret the actions of Hannah as something that all Christian mothers are expected to example or emulate. Indeed, Hannah is here presenting Samuel to the Lord in Shiloh, but we need to see it as a token of the special reason for which God had raised Samuel up. Follow closely with me for a moment. Hannah comes with Samuel to the temple, and she says, for this child I have prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I had asked for. Therefore I have lent or given him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. But notice with me the sequence. Hannah prayed for Samuel. God gave Samuel to Hannah. She responds by giving Samuel back to the Lord. And if you continue to read the following chapter, you will hear her singing a song of thankfulness and thanksgiving of how the Lord has come to visit his people and to raise up the horn of his people at this particular time in national Israel's history. And now if you put all of those pieces together, then what we see is that Hannah was aware of the shameful condition of God's people at this time in redemptive history. And although the future for God's people collectively and her son individually would be a mystery for her, although she could not have known how her son would be used by the Lord to shape Israel's history, it would seem that Hannah knew something of the powerful way that the Lord would use her son for the sake of his people. And she gave him or lent him to the Lord. But capture this with me now. Hannah explicitly rejoices in the fact that Samuel was an answer to her prayer. And we need to understand that. There she was, burdened and anxious, afflicted and lonely, lonely in her household, lonely in her marriage, lonely in her church. There was no place to which she could turn except to the Lord. And she did so. She cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard her and gave her a sign of his blessing by giving her the child of her prayers. And she could truly say, for this child, I have prayed. Every time she thought of Samuel, 
Every time she looked at that little guy, every time she saw, she would cry out. Uh, she would, she would, she would. Uh, her heart would have been overwhelmed with gratitude. Every time she saw her son, her one great thought would be, for this child I have prayed, and God has answered my prayer. He has blessed me exceedingly abundantly above all that I could have even thought or imagined. For this child I have prayed. And people of God, we need to emphasize every syllable of that statement. For this child I have prayed. And the Lord has granted me the petition for which I asked. Congregation, the Lord hears and answers prayer. But I fear that we living in, <coughs> in 2023 are living in a prayerless age among a prayerless generation. That's tragic enough. That's what we can expect of a pagan world, but... I sometimes fear that the holy art of prayer has even been lost to a large extent among many within the church. Congregation, many pastors and elders lament the fact of a deep-rooted lethargy within the churches today. And my dear brothers and sisters, there is a connection here. Gird up the loins of your mind, as Peter says, and think with me for a moment. <coughs> Think of what we confess in Lord's Day 45. We're going to get to that, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. <coughs> Forgive me. The Catechism asks, why do Christians need to pray? And then the answer comes to us, because it's the chief part of thankfulness. Yeah, we know that. And because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit. Imagine that. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask for it by way of ardent <coughs> by ardent and fervent prayer. And isn't that exactly what we saw in the interaction here between Hannah and God? She pleaded with the Lord. She begged him with fervent, fervent and ardent prayer. She pounded on heaven's door, seeking grace and mercy. <coughs> and she found it through prayer. For this child I have prayed, and the Lord has answered my prayer and granted my petition. My dear saints of God gathered here this morning, obviously prayer has great significance for the child of God but not the kind of significance taught us by much of contemporary Christianity. I'm sure you've all heard it. Maybe you've seen it on a bumper sticker. <coughs> Maybe some of you even believe it. <coughs> but there is a wrong theology. I'm almost going to say heresy, but there's a wrong theology around that says prayer changes things. That's a scary thought. Don't you believe it? Our God is sovereign and immutable and all things will come to pass exactly as he has already determined and decreed it in eternity. God does not change and neither is his eternal counsel changed by the prayers of the people no matter how many people are gathered together to multiply their prayer in some kind of a chain prayer. <coughs> prayer does not change things. But listen carefully. Prayer does change the people who offer them. 
Prayer changes the people who pray. Let me give you a little illustration of what I mean. Imagine you have a child, precious, precious child, and your child gets very seriously sick. And you beg God for healing for that child. But as time goes on, the child does not get better. The child gets worse. You continue to <coughs> you continue to pound on heaven's door. Finally, the doctor comes and says, there's nothing more we can do for your child. Through your tears, you continue to pray, but now your prayer changes. You pray that God would spare your child a long road of suffering and that your Lord would take him home to be with his heavenly father. So your prayers change you. It hasn't changed the situation. Prayer does not change things, but prayer does change the people who pray. And then finally we're able to say, not my will. My will is that you would heal my child. But obviously, Lord, if you're going to take him home, then I pray, Father, would you do it without a whole lot of suffering? So prayer changes people. And now follow me carefully. I don't want to be misunderstood. What I'm trying to say is that the purpose of prayer, first of all, is not to inform our Heavenly Father of our needs, although he wants us to do that. But he already knows our needs. Nor is the sole purpose of prayer to obtain from him our needs and our wants. No, prayer is the primary means which God has ordained for us to obtain spiritual blessing. And to that fact, the Catechism directs our attention. In other words, why must we pray? Because God will give his grace and his Holy Spirit to only those who with hearty sighing unceasingly beg them of him and ask him and thank them him for them. God will give his grace only to those who seek it in prayer. We need to underscore every word and syllable here. As a minister, I'm so often met by people who tell me of the apparent shallowness of their faith. They complain that their faith life does not seem to be what it ought to be. They want it to be strong and meaningful, and yet, and yet often it seems to be so weak and lethargic. And when I then prod them a little bit, when I then ask them about their devotion life, then especially their prayer life, they confide in me sheepishly that it's almost non-existent and incredibly... They fail to see the connection. God grants his grace only to those who seek it in prayer. If we're not going to pray, our faith will stagnate and eventually die. My dear precious saints of God gathered here this morning. Are you a people given to much prayer? I don't know you, but are you a people given to much prayer? Do you pray? Oh, I don't mean the prayers you hopefully still offer up before and after your meals. I mean, do you know what it is to draw near into the sacred presence of God of all grace and all strength and of all power to plead with him, to beg of him your spiritual needs? Do you flood the gates of heaven with your prayers for spiritual health and strength? Or do you, for the most part, neglect your prayers and only call upon him in times of great tragedy or need, expecting him to come running in your time of need? And you know, for many people, that is precisely what prayer is. It's a convenient resource in a case of an emergency. I remember well serving a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, when the terrorists struck the World Trade Building. I was there. The land was gripped with fear. Was this attack the beginning of the end? Was this the start of World War III, this time with nuclear weapons? We didn't know. And the land went into a panic mode, and suddenly churches, which prior to this September day had been virtually abandoned, were suddenly filled. But once the threat was over, things went back to being as they were, and the weeds returned to the church parking lot. And that's how people treat prayer. 
when things go terribly wrong, then suddenly people who seldom have ever considered the Lord suddenly want to call upon him for divine intervention on their behalf. But that's not what prayer is. (coughs) I even experienced one time that I received a phone call from a man on my street asking me to pray as a pastor, asking me to pray that his country might achieve the victory in the World Soccer Championships. My dear people of God, the Lord will not allow himself to be used that way. Prayer, congregation, is designed by the Lord to bring us closer to God every time again. Every time you go to God to pour out your heart before him, expecting him to answer, you will find yourself driven into that blessed place of safety under the shelter of his wings. Prayer is the means by which we obtain spiritual strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Hannah could truly say, I have prayed for this child. Tell me now, parents, can you truly say that you pray for your children? Can you say with Hannah for this child I have prayed? As you look at the child or the children God has given you, children perhaps sitting in the pew with you this morning or in the nursery or even grown children, maybe even married children, children that fill your hearts and and, and fill your homes and your lives with the greatest happiness that you've ever known, children who are your most precious possession, can you truly honestly say for this child, for these children I have prayed, can you look into the face of your child and then before the face of God who gave you that child can you say with honesty that you have earnestly prayed for him or her people got the baptismal form this morning reminded Eve and Zeta of their obligation towards little Michal and rightly so but what about the rest of us as parents did we or do, do you constantly and continually Pound on heaven's door, seeking God's blessing on your children? And if your answer is yes, let me probe a little deeper. Let me ask you, what do you pray for for your child? Did you pray that God would give them physical strength and health and the capacity to learn, to study, get a good job, a career, and be athletically capable to play sports? Wonderful. But prior to that, did you pray God's spiritual blessing upon them? Did you ask that God would preserve them and keep them safe, not only physically, but also spiritually safe into all eternity? Each time after you as parents have stood at the baptismal font and confessed that your child was conceived and born in sin, worthy of all manner of misery, yea, to condemnation itself, each time you confess that your precious child stood condemned in Adam and was at birth already on its way to hell, did you then beg of God that he would rescue your child from the jaws of death and hell and make him or her a responsible citizen in the kingdom of God? And when your children then began to grow and mature, perhaps even rebel, did you continue to plead with heaven for the safekeeping of their eternal soul? Did you as father, as mother, regardless of whatever else you may have done for your child, did you continue to pray ceaselessly, earnestly, passionately that God would be with them to bless them? and to keep them so that one day they would come to know and embrace him and become true soldiers of the cross. And if your children strayed and wandered far from the Lord, did you continue to remind God of that mark on their forehead? 
Did you constantly plead with God, begging him to remember his covenant promise to you and to your children? Parents, I'm asking if you have honored your baptismal vows. I'm asking if you have prayed the blessings of the covenant down upon the heads of your covenant children. Notice now with me from our text what Hannah did with Samuel. She gave him back to God. I don't know if Hannah fully understood what purpose God had in mind for Samuel, but this I know. Hannah came to the temple and said, because God gave him to me, I'm giving him back to God. There she was in the temple saying, Eli, do you recognize me? The last time you saw me, Eli, I was so downcast, and I was trying to pray, but I couldn't put my prayer into words. My prayer was written in heaven, but all I could do was just move my lips And you thought I was drunk. Do you remember me, Eli? But Eli, God turned my mourning into dancing. God took away my sackcloth and girded me with gladness and joy, Eli. Eli, I'm the woman who stood by you here in this temple praying to God. And he gave me my petition. He gave me my son, Eli. And I have given him back to the Lord. Imagine that. Imagine that. I have given him back to the Lord. And people, that's the greatest test of all, isn't it? Not so much what we give to the Lord, but what we keep back for ourselves from the Lord. We can imagine that the whole of Hannah's life and soul and heart was bound up in the life of that little guy. And what do we see? She gives him up. In fact, Hannah is offering up herself. Samuel was her whole life. Her whole life on this earth. And she gives him up to the Lord. Oh my dear people of God. You remember another story I'm sure. One day Jesus was standing in the temple. When all of the people came by. And put their money in the, in the collection plate. And all of the rich people were there. And, and those who were respected high class people. Putting in huge sums of money into the treasury. They were all so pleased with themselves. That they were patting themselves on their sanctimonious self righteous backs. But a woman came who had nothing but two copper coins. You know the story. And she threw them in and Jesus said, she has put in more than all of them. What did he mean? Simply this, that what we give to the Lord is measured not by, by what we have given, but from what, by what we have held back. The widow, she gave all that she had. She kept nothing for herself. All these other people had kept back enough for themselves, enough for this, enough for that. She kept nothing. She gave everything she had to the Lord. How about us? What are we keeping back from the Lord? How much of our time, our treasure, and our talents, our hearts, our lives, how much do we hold back from the Lord? Oh, we go to church and we say to ourselves that we will give God a couple of hours on a Sunday. But not the whole day, Lord, just a couple of hours. And, and Domine, don't make those couple of hours too long because we want the rest of the day for ourselves. We'll use our talents for this or for that, but we won't use them fully in the service of the Lord. We'll use our minds to read this or that or to watch this movie or that TV show, but we'll not read our Bibles or other spiritually enriching material. We'll teach our children about Jesus, but we'll devote ourselves to training them up for earthly temporal interests, careers, and sports rather than spiritual and eternal things. My dear precious saints of God, how much are we keeping back? Hannah kept nothing. She gave all that she had. Even her only child she gives to the Lord. 
and she did so joyfully and cheerfully. She said, I've given him back to the Lord. She knew that it was more blessed to give Samuel to God than it was to receive Samuel from God. She got a greater blessing giving Samuel than she did in receiving him. And that now is also the task of Eve's and Zeta. They are to recognize that their little Mikael is not their child. His baptism this morning has marked him as God's child. He has been set apart as God's child. He is God's child and God wants him back. And God has placed him in the care of Eve and Zeta for just a few short years with their sole obligation being to nurture him in the way and the will of the Lord. Eve and Zeta are to give that calling their all, trusting God's promise to bless their thankfulness. And so too for each of us, we will experience a greater spiritual blessing if only we would give ourselves completely and wholeheartedly into the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally and quickly notice with me the significance of the closing words of the chapter. We read Samuel worshipped the Lord there. It's a summary of his whole life. Where did he grow up? In the temple service. How did he get there? His mother brought him. He came to know and love and serve God willingly, cheerfully, faithfully, diligently there in the courts of the house of the Lord by God's grace indeed. But God used his mother's prayer, his mother's commitment, his mother's devotion as a means to bless spiritually this child. It was Hannah's greatest desire that her child would not just be circumcised, not just baptized, not just dedicated to God. No, she prayed that his whole life would be consecrated to God. And so it was. Why? Because for this child I have prayed. Parents, let me ask you. Do you want your children to live for the Lord? Is it your ardent, fervent prayer that your children would be the Lord's to serve him just like Samuel did? If that is the desire of your heart, then do as Hannah did. Bring your child to the house of the Lord. Bring him to church with you. And then plead constantly, daily, with groanings and pleadings. Pray God to demonstrate his mercy to your child. Beg of God unceasingly to show his grace to your child. And then dedicate yourself completely and wholeheartedly with all of your being to train up your child or children in the way of the Lord. Christian parents, grandparents, congregation, Hannah prayed to the Lord. And for that one thing she wanted and God smiled upon her and lays that little child in her arms. But rather than keeping that precious treasure for herself, she gives it back to the Lord. And as she hands that child to Eli, I'm quite confident that there was a lump in her throat. But there was a song in her heart. And the same must be true for all of us this morning. You see, another covenant child was welcomed into the church this morning. And by God's grace, he received the sign and the seal of the covenant. We saw the water. Maybe you didn't. It was kind of crowded. But we saw the water. But through the eyes of our faith, we saw the cross. And we saw the blood. The washing of water is symbolic of the necessary washing of sin in the blood of Christ. Needed for the cleansing of every one of our souls. 
Even precious little Mikael is already poor and needy. But God is rich beyond mercy and beyond compare or beyond measure. He gave up his only begotten son. He gave us his dearly beloved son and he gave him to all who seek him by way of ardent, fervent prayer. Go to him then. Bring your children with you. Go to him and when you do, you will find a song in your heart and you will find yourself jubilantly singing for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Amen. Let's pray. Father, with the psalmist we have learned to say, The Lord who turns away the plea of those who love iniquity has answered my request. He has not turned away my prayer. His grace and love he makes me share. His name be ever blessed. Come here all ye that fear the Lord, while I with grateful heart record what God has done.